Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You will die only to live again in a younger body. Then you can tell me if the operation was a success. I could easily kill you now, but I'm determined to have your brain. You're listening to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of genre cinema. Hi, my name is Chris, and along with Jeff, we talk about movies that aren't really awful at all. Horror, action, kung fu, musicals, post-apocalyptic, women in prison films, and much, much more. The Tri-Delta Sororities having their initiation tonight. Yeah, Delta Delta? Part of the ritual. We make it sound like we're devil from her downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 373 of the Really Awful Movies podcast, Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. Uh, what a title, eh? Like, it's it's almost as good as, like, the strange mixed-up creatures who stopped living and became zombies, or children shouldn't play with dead things, or one of these incredible long-title films. And this one uh, was shot in 87, uh, arguably maybe the best year ever in horror, what with Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warriors, and just a litany of other films. And it ties us back to Charles Band here. And uh, Charles Band put this one out uh, through his Urban Classics uh, division. And I guess it's kind of funny because uh, enticed by Instagram, uh, I took note of, of his uh, latest book, Confessions of a Puppet Master. And it's sitting right here on my desk. I just ordered it from Amazon. But Confessions of a Puppet Master, a Hollywood memoir of ghouls, guts, and gonzo filmmaking. And in that book, I've only delved into it um, a little bit, but Charles Band actually does not reference this film, uh, which is a bit of a shame. I was kind of hoping he would, as there's probably a lot to tell behind the scenes here. Now, for those who don't know, uh, Charles Band produced a, a litany of uh, horror films under Empire, Urban Classics, or f- uh, I believe it's called, I want to say it's Full Moon Features, but you have stuff like that, like Ghoulies Reanimator, which should be on everyone's, well, in everyone's top 15 lists of the top horror films of all time. It's a just inimical outstanding sui generis movie by Stuart Gordon it just perfectly marries in my estimation comedy and horror and is just a total gut muncher as well it's just the the gore is over the top and so just splatter filled and fueled it's one of my top horrors ever now I came to sorority babes in the slime ball bolorama through social as well and there's obviously you can't go wrong with a title like that and I would wondered why this had never crossed my path as of yet and I I thought oh I got to remedy that 
especially since it's one of uh, a number of films that is influenced by the classic short story called uh, The Monkey's Paw. Tales from the Crypt has a similar uh, setup where you have this uh, monkey's paw. Uh, you come across this and it grants you uh, wishes, this uh, particular appendage. There's also a Bob Clark film from the 70s. I want to say it's Dream World, but that's probably not it. But there's there's a whole slew of films that take that kind of uh, uh, monkey's paw uh, outlook or uh, maybe a, a, like a, a genie granting wishes, like in the case, the case of uh, uh, Puppet Master, one of these types of things. And uh, similarly here, you have a, a group of uh, sorority yeah, well, as the name implies, sorority babes, and uh, to the extent they're, they are babes, I guess most of them kind of are. Uh, and this is a feature directed by David de Coteau, who put together, I don't know if people have seen Creepazoids, but he's worked with Linnea Quigley before. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right, and it's not Linnea, but uh, Linnea sounds better. Linnea Quigley, you know, obviously who got impaled in Silent Night, uh, uh, Deadly Night, and um, obviously... Uh, Night of the Demons, I mean, she's just an iconic uh, scream queen, and she plays like a very punk rock character in this one, but I'm just going to call it Sorority Babes from now on, but you have uh, three goofy guys, Calvin, Jimmy, and Keith, and uh, Calvin, uh, the actor who plays him, is, I forget his name, but he's in one of the later Nightmare on Elm Street uh, films as a uh, martial artist, so, I mean, this film has a lot of pedigree when it comes to people you'll know and love from the horror space. The other being uh, Brinky Stevens, Michelle Bauer. There's Some of these people come from the likes of uh, Slumber Party Massacre and other types of these uh, schlocky uh, vehicles in the 80s. And this would have come in the tail end of uh, the horror boom. And it's really not your standard slasher movie, as that would have been the golden era of slashers. But this is a uh, creature feature in the similar vein to, uh, I, I kind of liken it a little bit to Cellar Dweller or maybe Terror Vision or one of these things. And it's, I think it's a subgenre films that's kind of lost the ages, if you will, and I can't really pinpoint why. It, it could just be because of the amount of effort and cost associated with doing really, really fun and and involved and elaborate uh, practical effects as this one does. So, uh, and you, you see that in the likes of Cellar Dweller, but you can also throw in other stuff where the, the creature is more mobile and maybe where they use some stop motion. I'm thinking the H.P. Lovecraft adaptation called The Unnameable as well. There's a whole slew of these kinds of films that are just super super fun and uh, there's also the brain a canadian film i podcasted earlier with this pulsating a bit of gray matter that's attached to electrodes and running in a lab and th these movies are just so much bloody fun and you wouldn't think this is the type of movie it would morph into because the premise is not dissimilar from your standard college co-ed getting butchered movie but it takes a bit of a turn and, and uh, transitions into a monster movie and i don't know whether that was a reflection of seeing that the writing was on the wall when it came to the uh, slasher genre or whether this was just something that uh, he created uh, out of whole cloth I mean, you can't really say that because it's it wears its influences on its uh, shaggy sleeves all over the place. There's lots of films this one alludes to, but you have these uh, nerdy guys and uh, they spend their evenings. And this is a bit of, uh, I think, uh, art imitating life. Uh, one of the, the leads, according to the other two, wastes his life by sitting at home watching horror films, which I, I got a kick out of as well. And the uh, other two, uh, Jimmy and Keith, admonish him to, uh, you know, get out of the apartment and uh, because there's some sort of sorority 
sorority party they could crash and what better way to uh, you know meet uh, meet babes well meet the eponymous babes and uh, you know get out of their uh, you know uh, pathetic uh, seedy apartment and uh, make the best of it and uh, the sorority members include Babs, Rhonda, and Frankie and uh, they're the ones, uh, one of whom is played by Robin uh, Rochelle. And she's the lead and who plays uh, Babs. And she's known as Val from Slumber Party Massacre from uh, 1982. So you got all these scream queens and all these people together. Now they're taking part in this uh, sorority ritual uh, in which they paddle some uh, new, new recruits. I guess uh, potential uh, pledges, I guess that you would call. And this movie has allusions to uh, the Joey Belladonna star called Pledge Night. There's just a litany of these cash grab tie-ins to your target market right your your target demo the your your key st stakeholders at the time when you could go for an R rating and get people who are college age and just basically massacre them uh, under very little pretense right so these uh, three guys go and, and spy on the Tri Delta sorority group and uh, this has a bit of a Revenge of the Nerds element too. So you have the spy scene is protracted and a la Revenge of the Nerds, you have uh, a, a peephole and uh, copious amounts of nudity and toplessness and bottomlessness and all this kind of thing. And a lot, uh, just a protracted, prolonged excuse to pad the runtime with a bunch of nudity and why the hell not, right? This stuff's really great. And uh, the, I guess the sorority sisters, they spank, and uh, paddle the initiates and spray them with whipped cream and uh, and say there's no other houses they can pledge if they don't go through this one and it so happens that uh, the boys get caught and along with the pledges they're assigned this task by the tri-delta sorority group in order to pass muster and uh, break into their ranks and be uh, uh, granted uh, full-fledged members of tri-delta and that task, and this is where things take a turn because this would not have been the, the same uh, conceit as uh, numerous uh, films of this ilk from the same time period. So what they actually have to do is steal a trophy from a nearby bowling alley. Of all things, a bowling alley, hence the title, Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bowlerama. You know, bowling. My God, has that fallen from favor as a, as a lower class uh, pursuit? It almost reminds me a bit of horse racing or even boxing is, is, is falling under the similar uh, rubric. It's like these are things that would have been the would have passed muster as entertainment in the past but the economics no longer lend itself to it i mean when you think about it look at all the at least in these parts where it's summer is only exists for three months out of the year why would you how would you be able to capably run a horse track and make that viable plus uh, i mean there's so many other ways to gamble and you could do so from the comfort of your own living room that uh, why would you go out that it, it just uh, to me it beggars belief why you would keep constructing these types of things or maybe like a casino which seems to be popping up everywhere as some sort of uh, panacea to revive a, a, a failing town's economic fortunes. I don't get it. Uh, Bolorama similarly. Bowling alleys used to be so prevalent when I was growing up but the amount of space that they occupy, that uh, given how how and when they're actually can be used, is actually not too dissimilar from uh, the use of um, uh, cinema space, 
when you think about it, there's only a, a certain amount of time, let's say between five and midnight, where these spaces can be used for anything. So it's a bit of an anachronistic, a bit of a bit. It's kind of anathema, and it, it's a shame too because you have these rock and bulls, and and it's uh, fond memories of going to the ten pin. And they flash uh, purple and pink lights, and uh, they play all this awful music. And you go and rent these terrible shoes, and they always invariably smell bad. Maybe it's a function of living in the big city, and there's just too many entertainment options. And maybe in a small town, you have to avail yourself of, uh, uh, you can avail yourself of little else. But I remember going to Greek Town, Toronto's Greek Town, a few years ago, and they had this basement bowling alley that was only five pin and looked like it, uh, it had been a legion hall or something and it was really ridiculous and it might as well have been a pin monkey in the background just setting setting up the uh, the balls after you uh, you bowl a strike is really bizarre and really weird anyway in uh, sorority babes and slimeball bowlerama the bowling alley becomes the setting for this horror in in a very effective way i gotta say in the same way uh, the sam raimi uh, film uh, intruder made use of a, of a grocery store it's very self-contained it's i mean unquestionably unique i mean who would set a film in a bowling alley really and so the group enters and they that's where they encounter linea quigley's character of spider who's this kind of uh, joan jett and the blackhearts rock and roll chick who's actually burglarizing the place like talk about misguided efforts of criminality right like not not the local bank, not like uh, one of those uh, delivery trucks that uh, emptying uh, ATM machines or one of these. No, it's uh, <laughs> she's actually in with a crowbar trying to get access to um, the store of cash that the bowling alley has. And the the crew obviously is trying to curry favor with the uh, Tri-Delta sorority group. So they, they meet each other and they end up trying to uh, break into the trophy room and make off with, well, a trophy, literally a trophy, which is something they would steal to present to someone else. So it's a, a trophy of where they've been, this low-level criminality. And it just so happens that when this uh, trophy is busted, it unleashes an imp named Uncle Impy. And this is like a jive-talking, blaxploitation uh, imp who's uh, stop-motion, claymation style. And uh, he uh, appears and grants the group wishes. Now, the only sensible one out of this party seems to be Jimmy, who uh, wishes for a gold stack. Uh, I mean, why would you not do that? I mean, gold never loses its value. It's intrinsically valuable, and you get a, a whole bunch of worth out of it that's really, really tangible and really useful. Meanwhile, Taffy, one of the uh, pledges, had never been a prom queen. I mean, talk about a useless wish if you're going to avail yourself of one wish. Uh, she gets like a, what, a really fancy dress that's potentially worth several hundred bucks. <laughs> and meanwhile, you know, uh, someone with a you know runway that's a lot uh, shorter uh, on his outlook on the outlook side is Keith the other nerd who uh, wants to have sex with uh, Lisa one of these girls here so it's the their wishes are granted and ultimately I guess uh, one of the uh, sorority sisters is turned into an evil bride of Frankenstein and starts going around and meanwhile uh, Rhonda, uh, the other sorority sister, is turned into this rapacious female demon or minion. And Babs, the Robin Rochelle character, who's the leader of the group and the lead paddler. That's a paddlin. The lead paddler of the sorority sisters. She manages to abscond, but she's rendered un unconscious from touching the mall doors. 
And so this is, yeah, this is a setting that's contained in a mall, but, you know, as it so happens that uh, frequently bowling alleys are contained in a mall. So it has a little bit of Dawn of the Dead feel of that uh, as well, but that's, I think, being charitable. Now, this is a super fun movie, and I actually selected it because, of all things, it's runtime. Uh, I've been uh, finding it uh, increasingly difficult to stay up really late, what with my son's uh, sleep habits being all over the map as a toddler. Uh, so I just thought, okay, great, 80 minutes. I figure with the rolling credits, I can get this over with in 70. And this one has a budget of 90,000 bucks in the late 80s, and there's actually a little bit of style behind this one. I mean, David Ducateau kind of knows what he's doing. Uh, I've not seen the Creepazoids, but, uh, you know, he's done other kinds of uh, fun films that uh, our listeners uh, might know. You would know him as well from uh, the likes of uh, Nightmare Sisters, I think, and uh, Puppet Master, speaking of uh, Charles Band. Uh, Puppet Master 3, Toulon's Revenge, Dr. Alien, and uh, and Lady Avenger, and all these kinds of schlocky productions. And this movie is notable. I mean, uh, Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. I just, I just love saying it, but it's notable uh, when one of the demon minions kills one of the nerds and uh, uses his head as a bowling ball of all things. I mean, just think how heads have prominently featured in films involving in some way uh, Charles Mann, whether it's Reanimator, who's going to believe a talking head, or uh, this ball, which is just uh, sent down the lane. It's uh, pretty funny. My friend Jake is from, he's from Texas, and he was a low-level bowling like, I don't want to say champ, but he was like, as a youth, he would uh, like go to these different tournaments all over the province and in the States as well, where they have a more developed circuit. And he would actually bowl quasi-professionally as a teen. And he, to this day, I believe when we last went bowling out in, the, in, in Toronto, he actually brought his own uh, balls and bags. And we were just all just laughing appropriately at this because it's, uh, it's like kingpin or something ridiculous like that. It was, I mean, no one treats this thing with any kind of gravitas. It's a, a goofy sport. It's it's like other pub type sports like darts where you could practically have a cigarette hanging from your mouth and succeed at it. But uh, I just thought wonderful. Uh, Sorority Babe's uh, use of his head was so great. The, there's also a janitor character who's is stuck in some janitorial closet and. Uh, and he reveals that the imp was summoned to help uh, a league bowler become a, a, some sort of champ. And if you ever have nothing to do on a Saturday or Sunday, there's the, I believe it's called the PBA, the Pro Bowlers Association, or the PBT, the Pro Bowlers Tour. Uh, this is something like ABC Sports used to run, and it's just like, just as you'd expect the athletes, uh, quote unquote, would look is how they do and they have their gloves and they have their just awful fashion and their belts and they're just it's just something to behold uh, but you gotta admit i mean you know as a, as a real hack bowler myself i'm impressed by someone who can just bowl lane after lane and frame after frame of strikes it's just amazing because like when i get one or two i'm just thrilled but these guys will bowl five or six in a row but i guess i mean if you spend your life in effectively a bar doing this it's really i mean it doesn't even have the coolness factor of a billiards or, or anything like that. It's such a strange subculture. This is a very strange movie. Chock-a-block full of nudity uh, for the first 20 minutes. To you know, That's what get, gets bums in seats, right? Uh, the cast is splendid. Uh, you have uh, Calvin, who's uh, the character from... Uh, 
from the Nightmare on Elm Street series, played by Andres Jones. He, he becomes like an unlikely hero with his thick framed glasses, and Linnea Quigley uh, is drawn to him, and he actually uh, is able to overcome his uh, beta male uh, nerdiness and save the day with a Molotov cocktail. Super fun movie, lots of things I learn in this one. Uh, George Buck Flower is the, plays the janitor, and he's a veteran of tons of, of uh, films. I mean, he, he's frequently typecast as, as a, a, a drunk and all these things. He's in a bunch of B-movies. You'll know him when you see him kind of thing. He's in just... He was in Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS. Uh, you know, that uh, exploitation series about uh, Nazi commandants. So he's in tons of different things. Uh, a bunch of the Ilsa, a small town in Texas, all these kind of... Drive-In Massacre. That's a sort of unremarkable mid-70s effort, but you kind of know him when you see him. And he's just one of these long-time character actors that just basically looks like one of these bearded hillbilly types and keeps consistently uh, getting work. Charles Band's uh, father was Albert Band, and it's funny how the different generations came to the film business. Like, I, I just started reading Confessions of a Puppet Master, and Charles Band uh, basically lived a life on the road because his father was always doing productions in Romania and Italy, uh, particularly Rome, which uh, Band said he really, really loved and would ride around on a Vespa all over town, and that seemed like he had a really charmed upbringing. But uh, Albert Band was a producer behind, like, these... Uh, highfalutin John Huston type movies and it's just funny how uh, over a generation uh, you would go from that type of film and uh, these kinds of westerns to uh, being involved with all kinds of just bizarre productions like uh, Parasite that, that was a great one from 1982 that uh, band directed uh, Trancers was another funny and fun one uh, well the Ginger Dead Man of course that's that's probably one of the more notable band uh, productions at least the ones that he directed but they're all just I mean this is gonzo guerrilla filmmaking he's he, uh, he takes from himself as well so he'll do like Ginger Dead Man versus Evil Bong and uh, remakes and uh, and uh, rebooting his own efforts and he's just a, such a maverick i mean in many ways some of his stuff is uh, better than lloyd kaufman's but very 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 inconsistent so you can't uh, look to it as i mean it's no nothing great but you have to really admire his chutzpah and his panache as a director and uh, you i mean just the the imprint the imprimatur of his empire uh, international pictures i mean it's just it reads like a, a who's who of uh, the or what's what or what's that <laughs> i don't know uh, the some of the top titles you will ever get to see in horror i mean you got your rawhead rex you got your from beyond eliminators uh, reanimator ghoulies creepazoids dolls so again the stuart gordon stuff and um Cellar Dweller, the aforementioned Cellar Dweller, so from 1988 as well. So, I mean, his, like, you can't deny his, well, Intruder as well. I mean, there's, there's a certain uh, feel that his uh, films have or that the films that he's involved in distributing or producing or having his hand in that are undeniably cool. And I'm really excited about reading more about Charles Robert Band's uh, <laughs> life. I mean, uh, it's, it's a life just completely steeped in filmmaking. He's a maverick. He's really interested in just going for the gusto and doing all these things on the cheap. And the, the, the world needs more people like him. 
regarding sorority babes and the slimeball bowlerama. I mean, this is just a super, super fun, super cheesy movie. It's just great. There's tons of nudity. The practical effects are hilarious. The uh, jive-talking exploitation uh, antagonist imp is uh, one for the ages. I mean, it's it reminds me a little bit of Basket Case in a little way, like with the serrated teeth and whatnot. It has the, that you know, there's a little bit of an overlap between uh, those two uh, monsters, if you want to call it that. Both sympathetic, both wisecracking, both. Uh, uh, both super fun. I'm going to give this a solid three out of five. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people enjoy it, ironically now, of course, and uh, fine, that's that's fair. But, I mean, it, it's entertaining as all hell, and, and really that's all you can hope for with these kinds of things, especially clocking in at really 70 minutes. I mean, I found it more enjoyable than some of these highfalutin efforts like uh, St. Maud, uh, most notably of late. Anyway, hope you continue to enjoy the show. Bit of a shorter episode this time around as I've been, uh, oh, uh, I'm sort of awash in uh, uh, articles that I got to write in my day job as a journalist, and this is a really busy time of year for us as uh, we're uh, leading up to the Super Bowl and, uh, and Valentine's Day and all this, and there's just tons of ad campaigns and tons of brand campaigns and so much going on in my life, not to mention I've got a toddler, so really tough. Hopefully getting back to things and doing a more fulsome, more uh, pro-attracted uh, podcast in the next effort, but I hope this will suffice for now. As always, pick up a copy of Mine's Bigger Than Yours, the hundred wackiest action movies or of course a death by umbrella hundred weirdest horror movie weapons with the aforementioned lloyd kaufman doing the uh forward for us our pal over there at trauma uh anyway enjoy and we'll talk to you soon take care Thank you.